So we kind of said, well, okay, we could do really good things for the next 30 years. And then what? Do we end up in the same place we are now in the West? So what would be a mechanism that would allow you know, mission and value and purpose to carry over to the next generation? And we thought, well, the people best placed to safeguard that are probably the people that work for the company that have adopted that mission and value. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. David Harley grew up in Accra, Ghana. At the age of 18, he moved to Canada to pursue an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. After a shift into the worlds of venture capital and alternative assets, he co-founded Third Way Capital, where he now serves as CEO. Third Way is an impact investing firm that makes long-term investments in small to mid-sized enterprises in sub-Saharan Africa and provides them with technical assistance to help them grow sustainably. Through Third Way Capital, David hopes to contribute to a growing recognition that business done well can be transformational for parts of the world and society that need it the most. He believes deeply that this is part of God's work. So with that, David, we'd like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Shalane. Glad to be here. That's wonderful to have you. David, we like to jump right into our discussions by asking our guests to complete a sentence, poverty is. So if you would do that for us, we would be most grateful. Sure. I think my answer would be poverty is systemic. Would you mind expanding on that? I'd love to hear a little bit more of what that means for you. Yeah, yeah. I I think, you know, obviously poverty is is a reality of of humanity. And, you know, as Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. And there's certainly truth to that. I I think, however, what we've seen over the past, say, 100 to 200 years is just a, a drastic shift from what we would have considered poverty to levels where, you know, people aren't able to to afford a meal a day. And Mm. so what we're talking about, you know, when we say poverty today is very different than say what it was um, by and large, you know, 2000 years ago in Jesus' time. And that's been a result of drastic, I I think, systemic shifts in marketplace practices and dynamics that have been brought on by, you know, the onset of globalization. And and to some extent, uh, I I would say the the remnants of, of colonial relationships with mm-hmm. uh, Western powers and and their colonies. And that's led to a system that we all live in today that's really been inherited from that time. And until we start to pull on the levers that address those systemic airs, if you like, I think mm-hmm. uh, poverty is, poverty mm-hmm. levels that we experience them now won't be dealt with. Thank you for that. I appreciate that perspective and some history attached to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, already I know that this is going to be a great conversation, David. We'd also love to get to know you a little bit more and hear some of your story. Particularly, this stood out to me in your in your bio. What led you from mechanical engineering to the world of venture capital? Uh, yeah, great question. Uh, I don't think it was one thing. I think I've always, you know, coming from Ghana myself, I've always known that I wanted to contribute somehow to uh, to things back home economically and. Um, being in engineering, the tools aren't clear. So I really had to step outside of that and, and go to business school. 
mm. to, to start to open my thinking, open up my thinking around what tools that we have to actually start to shift things. Um, so I would say there was almost a, a before and after for me um, and, and my MBA, which I did uh, in Spain, was 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 the was a marker for me. And the reason for that is there was an emphasis on entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking. I think if I'd gone to any other business school, I, I might have wound up just going and worked in in consulting, for example. Mm. But that emphasis on really bringing really fresh thinking to uh, to to how we do business, but also there's a humanities focus that kind of asks the why we do business. By the time mm. I was done with the program, I thought, you know what, there's there's a lot that I've learned here that would be really, really key back in the environment from which I come, which is Accra, Ghana. Mm. The why we do business. I think that's probably one of the reasons uh, we connect Food for the Hungry with what you're doing with Third Way Capital, the why behind it, uh, we would describe it as redemptive venture or redemptive entrepreneurship. I'm sure, David, as you've chatted with our our business lead, uh, Kevin McKay, you know that at Food for the Hungry, we walk with businesses who are interested in that kind of mutual transformation for themselves, their staff, the communities and the environments that they operate. Can you share with us a little bit about how Third Way Capital operates as a redemptive venture? Absolutely. So at Third Way, uh, the first thing is, is we kind of say in the environment in which we work, <clears throat> any business that you can create, creates an impact. That mm-hmm. is to say, you're providing a job, you're providing a salary, you're affecting the next generation for whoever it is that now holds the job and you're, you're contributing to, uh, you know, the, the um, service base or the, or the product base in that country. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we, we, you know, and we definitely think of ourselves as an impact investment firm. And so when we think about impact or, or re- redemptive business, mm-hmm. that's where we start. It's, it's economic first. Having said that, we, we want to contribute to building a, 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 a context, an environment in, in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa, where we work that challenges the status quo of business. Mm. That's sort of taken for granted here, where a lot of, you know, the schooling that we're doing, a lot of what we're getting through the media doesn't even ask that question. What is the purpose? I think we're all still living in a bit of a Gordon Gecko world of, Greed is good and, and that's it. And, and mm-hmm. again, um, there's some thinking left over from, you know, Milton Friedman's stuff from the 70s and 80s that basically mm-hmm. said um, profit is the, the, the sole purpose of business. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, there's a nuance to that statement he, he made and, and yeah. it's worth picking into. But I think society, by and large, hasn't been able to adopt that nuance. And so what we've got are people that leave mm-hmm. business school and that's their motive. And so we, we're looking at Sub-Saharan Africa as being this almost um, um, nascent, nascent environment that allows us to talk about new ways of thinking about business and hopefully introduce a culture that will stay, that will last, and potentially provide an example for businesses back here, that mm-hmm. there are multiple stakeholders to every business. And and we don't count the cost, and, and and we don't and we don't see the potential benefits that we can actually bring to the 
to the um, communities that we work in. Um, certainly there's an environmental piece as well to worker, mm-hmm. worker well-being. Um, and all of those, you know, there are attempts to try and metricize those other costs. But I think ultimately it's got to, there's got to be almost a, a, a qualitative side to this. Everyone knows when something's good and when something's, when something's flourishing and when something is mm. not. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's how I'd put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing that. Would it be correct to kind of tie in the topic of employee ownership into that kind of lens that you're looking through then? 100%. Yeah. You know, Third Ray Capital is a very young company. We're only a couple of years old, but we immediately started asking the question, if we are investing in companies, we obviously intend to exit them at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the traditional means of exit right now are either an IPO, if you've grown the company large enough, or it's private equity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Private equity particularly has a troubled history, and it's been pointed to as one of the reasons why you see companies, well-meaning companies, very quickly lose culture, lose a sense of purpose, um, lose um, solidarity with employees, and by and large, start to, these companies can come in, not always, but can come in and start to treat um, pretty much everything as just a factor of production. They've got companies and, and, and restrict wage increases and, and all of that stuff. So we kind of said, well, okay, we could do really good things for the next 30 years. And then what? Mm-hmm. Do we end up at the same place we are now yeah. in the West? So what would be a mechanism that would allow you know, mission and value and purpose to carry over to the mm-hmm. next generation. And we thought, well, the people best placed to safeguard that are probably the people that work for the company that have adopted that mission and value. Right. So that's certainly one piece of it. The other piece is wealth equality. And we've mm-hmm. come to understand now that capitalism, as we've, as we've practiced it, leads to increasing concentration of wealth. And unless there's a mm-hmm. system in place to keep redistributing that, um, it just it just keeps rolling along. Now there is a system in place. It's called the tax system, mm-hmm. and so every time I say the word you know distributism or redistributism, people get scared. Mm-hmm. And I'd say to that, well, it's already happening. Mm-hmm. It's a tax system, but the problem is the tax system is polarizing. The reason mm-hmm. one biggest reasons we have the left and right is because people have very big uh, have very different views on 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 how much we should be taxing, where that tax should go, and all of that. So employee ownership is a means of getting past those conversations, not doing away with the tax system, but certainly relying on it less as our means of distribution and making sure the power is still in the hands of individuals mm. as opposed to the government. But these these individuals are stakeholders in the companies who hopefully are thinking about the, the best, um, what's best for the companies and the communities that they work in and the environment and all that. Hmm. David, I would love to hear a story or an example of one of these employee-owned companies. Can you can you share something like that with us? Sure. Uh, so the largest employee-owned company that I'm aware of is one called Mondragon. It's in the Basque region of Spain, and hmm. it's it was actually started by a Catholic priest. Um, I think I think close to eighty years ago. I'd have to check that. But what it's now become is a holding company of around 56 employee-owned companies. 
And so it's this oh. region that's fairly heavily industrialized, but it hasn't industrialized the way we've seen industrialization happen in other places because everyone that works for the company is rooted in the company's community. All of them own shares in the company. There's a university that your kids go to for free. Hmm. And so despite the size of the company, they've managed to maintain those commu- you know, community roots that allow for thriving at the social level and all of that, while obviously making sure that their, their employees are, are some of the most well compensated in Spain um, and, and, um, and, and can retire um, you know, with, with, a decent, yeah, with a decent payout, um, <laughs> all of these things. So that's probably the biggest example. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I would say this example also, you know, bucks the understanding that employee-owned companies can't be competitive because mm. people tend to think that. And, and that's demonstrably not true. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the monolith that is... Um, um, one dragon. There are smaller companies uh, as well. Actually, my wife works for one. They're called the CPCS. It's an infrastructure advisory company. It's a spinoff from Canada Pacific Rail, actually. And they do infrastructure mm. advisory in um, several countries in Africa. And, and they're employee-owned. And, and she worked at a uh, at sort of a large uh, public company before. And the difference is very clear. The turnover mm. rates are extremely low at this company. Uh, two to three years in, uh, Employees get to buy in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're compensated at a higher level. Uh, productivity levels are higher. Utilization levels are higher. And these are all metrics that, you know, back at companies I've worked at, we had to chase really, really hard because there mm-hmm. wasn't an organic way of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, incentivizing employees to behave that way. But when, you know, obviously once you own a part of the company, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. one's going to convince you to, spend however long you have to spend to make sure that you're sending out a first-class project or product. For sure. You have a a completely different investment in in the work and in the whole process. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. So to our listeners, already there's so much in this conversation to kind of chew on and and to reflect on. And I'm so appreciative of your perspective already, David. Uh, But to our listeners, you know, if you have questions, if you want to reach out and continue this conversation, please, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out to us uh, by email at podcast at fhcanada.org and we can continue this conversation together. Uh, David, one of the areas that we'd love to explore with you is addressing issues of equality. How would you say that third way capital is doing that right now? That's a great question. Um, Certainly, you know, in in the part of the world that we work in, it could be argued, you know, again, if if you're providing jobs in sub-Saharan Africa, you're already, you're already contributing to pushing the needle in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm. Um, but I would say even in the way that we, you know, even in the targets that we make. Um, so one thing we're trying to do is, um, how do I say this? Is, is not, we see impact as being holistic. So we don't say mm-hmm. to our investors, for instance, we're going to chase, um, we're going to chase environmental impact. We're going to chase gender impact, any of that, any of that. We look at, things as a piece. Um, so for instance, gender equality is, is really important to, 
to what we pursue. Mm. Um, but what does that look like? Um, so for instance, in Ghana, if you look at the stats, the gender equality stats are around, uh, I think, 88%. That is to say that uh, there's essential, essentially uh, you've got an evenness in the workforce between men, men and women. So for every man that's in the workforce, you've got 0.88 women which makes no sense, obviously, <laughs> in the workforce. But we've really, so that's just a stat, which I think society is often over-reliant on. So we've got to pick away at that. Does that mm -hmm. answer the question of if gender equality is has been solved in Ghana? It doesn't. So mm -hmm. now we've got to look at, uh, well, let's look higher up the ladder. Are, th are these numbers, do these numbers um, persist at management level? Do they persist at executive mm -hmm. level? Do they persist at ownership level? Um, so we're really trying to push, push the envelope by having deeper conversations about what it actually means to be equal, as opposed to just, you know, pulling out stats and saying to our portfolio companies, we're here now, we need to be there. We want to understand, and we've brought in impact specialists to help with this. We want to understand the cultural context as well. What do the women in Ghana think about equality? What does that mean to them? Does it mm. mean you know, a 50-50 split, or does it mean perhaps a bit more support in some of the things that are actually more important to them than um, working a nine to five like their husbands do? So I would say the, the answer to that is it's something that we can't define for the areas mm -hmm. that we work in. It's a conversation and we invite them into mm -hmm. that um, to make sure that they're building their, their society or their community. We're not coming in to tell them to give them a Western-centric view of, of what that is. Mm -hmm. That actually brings up or touches on a point that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about, David. You mentioned kind of the difference between a Western-centric point and then doing things another way. Maybe I'm just connecting dots that aren't actually there, but your name, Third Way Capital, that stands out to me. What's the story behind the name? Is it connected to you know finding another way of doing things that's different than what we've traditionally done, or am I just barking up the wrong tree there? <laughs> no, Eric, yeah, I think you're on to us. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's essentially Oof. it. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's exactly it. We, we try to imagine that, particularly because we have deep Christian roots, all three partners are Christian. Mm -hmm. we've, we've looked at things like, you know, gender equality, as you, as you mentioned. We've looked at um, things like how to go about impact. And, and we just realized that often... Um, society tends to, to dichotomize things quite mm -hmm. quickly and provide categories of people to enter in very cleanly. And, and the reality is uh, very few things can be easily categorized and people should be less easily categorized, mm -hmm. people and their opinions and et cetera, et cetera. So when, as we try to address these issues, we're, we're really looking up a lot of the time, saying how do we break the bounds of these categories what would a um, Jesus-informed, you know, blah, blah, blah look like? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And often it, it, it looks like something that hasn't actually been, been, been offered. It looks like something that's adjacent to what society is offering in the mainstream media, wherever mm -hmm. it is that you look. Mm -hmm. David, 
We're talking about a variety of different things. We're using a lot of terms. And I'm wondering if possibly some of our listeners are actually sitting there going, I'm not even sure if I know exactly what impact investing is. So I wonder if we could just circle back to that for a minute and you could give us a an easily understandable definition for those of us who are not so financially minded and gifted. Yeah, great question. Uh, impact investing is one that we... I wouldn't say we struggle with it, but it's 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 such a new term that even within the industry, there's a lot of discussion. Well, thank you. What, that, that helps me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> over what it does mean or what it should mean. Because if you think about it, all investing has impact. Mm-hmm. Anything that you do has impact. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a sense, the, the purest way to view investment would have that word impact built into its definition. You're mm-hmm investing for some reason, and there are some outcomes, some you intend to have, some you don't intend to have. So I would say impact investing essentially says, well, you know, what does it look like to invest with some outcomes in mind beyond just the financial? So those outcomes could be, as I mentioned, environmental, uh, climate change oriented, they could be um, skewed towards uh, equality of the gender variety or diversity or, or, or what have you. They could be, what else? They could be oriented around um, workplace equality. So, and then certainly the developmental economic category in which we find ourselves. So that's, you know, and that's a positive way to look at it, which is to say, okay, here's, we want to spend our money on certain outcomes and we're going to go after that. The problem with impact investing, I think, is, is that there, there are those outcomes that you don't ask for and that you aren't looking for. And so the, the industry is very much on a journey to understand how do we quantify outcomes, period, hmm. because you've really got to understand what the trade-offs are. Yeah. You, know, you could spend your money doing this, but what, what's, what's the trade-off of, of, a, of a business or a company making, you know, doing the spend, putting the energy into this side of what they do? And does that actually reduce, you know, your overall positive impact that you're bringing? Which is why, again, I go back to talking about the uh, the holistic, uh, the holistic lens which we try to view it as. But that's that's essentially what impact invest, investing is. And the field mm-hmm. has existed for, I would say, coming on a decade now. But it's really, really hit the mainstream over the last, I would say, three to five years. With obviously COVID has accelerated that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you touch on or you use that word holistic, David. And on the one hand, I hear holistic in the sense of um, like integrative. But then when I hear holistic as well, and maybe some of our listeners relate with this, it sounds like that must include a lot of pieces and a lot of moving parts. And even just in the way you're talking about this, we're going from economics to entrepreneurship to basically human behavior and psychology. And there's all of these moving parts and pieces within the work that you are doing with Third Way Capital. I'm so curious for you, what would you say have been some of the the challenges in this line of work that you find yourself in? Um, and then also some of like the achievements that you you kind of take pride in as you've as you've been doing this work. Great question. Uh, I think actually one of the biggest challenges is is being able to, particularly with our with our in, in investors, being able to speak the language of impact, mm. you know, in that using that holistic lens, and and I'll explain a little bit. Yeah. Again, people are 
very used to categorizing. And so, you know, a lot of our investors are the mindset that, uh, you know, I invest my money in mainstream products and whatever I make, if there's extra, I invest it in charity. Mm. Nothing at all wrong with charity. Mm-hmm. It's been very hard to, to, to come to a place where you sort of say to them, well, why not invest your money in a business that's going to do well and still does essentially just behaves the way a business, we behave a business, we believe a business should behave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really what we should want to get to as Christians anyways. Mm-hmm. Why this uh, separation between, you know, business and charity. Business should pro- produce good outcomes. Um, so mm-hmm. that's been one of the challenges. On the flip side, uh, I would say that when we speak to the businesses in, in Ghana, for instance, and they're here, we're an impact fund. They have exactly that fear that we're going to come in with uh, with very prescriptive ideas mm. of good. Yeah. Um, and there are organizations that certainly do that, where we would be forcing them to act almost like an NGO, mm. and they're not. Yeah. At the end of the day, a business has to be operational. And we're coming in and saying, we think you can operationalize good business And they're kind of seeing the impact in our name and thinking, no, you want us to just change, uh, to just spend our days chasing metrics that really mean Mm. nothing to Mm. us, mean nothing to our context. So those have been two, I would say, two of the difficulties that we face, just the messaging around, Mm -hmm. you know, holistic impact and and what it actually means to to invest in that way. Um, The wins, I would say, you know, still early, early doors, but some of the biggest wins have just, I think, having those conversations where there is a, something clicks yeah. mm-hmm. and an investor goes, aha, mm-hmm. I've been, I haven't known how to articulate this, but I've been chasing this for a while. And I've been to conference after conference and I've, I finally, I finally get what this could and mm-hmm. should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same can happen on, on the, uh, on the business side, the portfolio company side, the owner side, mm-hmm. where it's okay, we get it. This is this resonates with. Not only do we get it, this resonates with something that you know it feels right mm-hmm. that we should look at business this way, that we should look at investing this way. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I love hearing you talk about all the parties involved. You're you're having these conversations and seeing the transformation happening in the lives of the investors. And in the communities, the business owners, uh, that's just a, it, it is a beautiful expression of this holistic approach. Shifting gears a little bit here, we always love to ask our guests, what books or resources can you recommend um, to our listeners who are really interested in this topic and want to learn more? Yeah, around the topic of, of I, I guess, um, a, a more whole view of capitalism, I've liked Completing Capitalism by Bruno Roche and J. Jacob. Jacob's spelled J-A-K-U-B. Mm-hmm. Um, so J. Jacob and uh, Bruno Roche, his last name spelled R-O-C-H-E. So these are, these are uh, ex-Mars guys, Mars the Chocolate Factory. Basically, one of the few really big privately owned companies that still exists. I'm sure you've heard of of the Mars Group out in, Impact Group out in um, Toronto. And they've basically Mm -hmm. put money towards figuring out how much profit is the right amount of profit for a business to have. Hmm. 
And, and what does a business look like that's acting in ways that looks at all the other, other stakeholders that are involved? And it's not a question that too many people are asking. And mm-hmm. I think particularly at the corporate level, I think they do, um, I think they do a good job of starting the conversation. They don't claim to have all the answers, but they've got some really intriguing thinking around how to build businesses that actually look at multiple that not only look at multiple stakeholders, but find ways to measure their outcomes in whatever whatever areas that they, they operate in. Uh, the other book I've liked, more along the lines of employee ownership and, and monopolistic um, businesses, uh, The Myth of Capitalism hmm. by uh, Denise Hearn, H-E-A-R-N, and let's see, Jonathan Tepper, that's it. T-E-P-P-E-R is his last name. And that just breaks down some of what we experience in North America that you know we probably don't know that we're, ex- we're experiencing, which is mm. that businesses heavily oligopolize or monopolize. And we may not even be aware because sometimes you know the brand names are different, but they're all owned yeah. by mm. the few. And so starting to understand how to unravel that and how do we move forward. Um, in society, as we see capitalism reach its zenith, mm-hmm. how do we start to think about what's what comes after this? Mm-hmm. So I've loved both of those books. Great. Great. Thank you. And for our listeners, we will have these books mm-hmm. listed on our recommended readings on our website at fhcanada.org slash podcast if you want to check them out. Mm-hmm. Well, David, as we approach the end of our conversation today, I just wanted to check in and see, were there any questions that we missed today? Was there anything that you really wanted to share more about or come back to and and focus on kind of before we wrap up? This is more of a comment than a question. I, I have a real heart for our education systems. I think, you know, particularly in, in, in business circles, I think there's a gap there that hasn't served us well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has led to just this hyper-specialization and separation mm-hmm. of our worlds from the charity world to now the impact world to the financial world to the people that actually operate businesses. Um, we need business programming that has, um, he- not heavy, but has some humanities content mm-hmm. because our, our business leaders aren't learning to think with multiple lens on They're going into businesses after school, um, chasing uh, pretty aggressive metrics right off the bat because most of them uh, work for publicly held companies. Mm -hmm. And so you've got this hamster wheel and and they get Mm -hmm. right in there. These are, by and large, these aren't, you know, bad intentioned people. Mm -hmm. I found most people that I've worked in, in in mainstream businesses have been lovely. And if you talk to them about their frustrations, the frustrations that you and I would share, mm-hmm. but they've got no real framework for thinking about what else business could look like and how mm-hmm. we can start to solve the problems that we're currently addressing with charitable or philanthropic business, I'm sorry, philanthropic giving um, through business. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's very much the next stage for us, but it won't mm-hmm. happen unless we start to introduce these concepts at the uh, high school and university level. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that we like to finish with is where can our listeners find you and connected to that? I'm just wondering, I know you have a blog, so Mm -hmm. maybe you can give us your blog address and are some of these topics addressed on your blog? 
Uh, sure. The, yes, absolutely. The blog tends to focus on um, material around uh, breaking down monopolistic capitalism and employee ownership. So mm-hmm. I write some pieces and I and I essentially curate pieces pieces that I like end up there as well. Um, so it's the website is dogoodbusiness.net. And uh, I, I think you find some useful resources there. And uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. I believe you have that link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll that. put that information there as well for you on our website. Yeah, and uh, I'm happy to, to, to chat over a LinkedIn message to people, anyone that mm-hmm. wants to reach out. I'm happy to do that. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I wish that this conversation could go for another hour. I feel like we're just hardly scratching the surface, but um, just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, David. I've so appreciated our conversation today. Thanks, guys. I love talking to both of you. To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about Third Way Capital and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 